Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lees with another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. And wow, Sam Nelson is here live in the flesh with his blue hair. Um, I don't even think we're going to ask him because I'm sure it's been asked a hundred times. So we're not that podcast unless he wants to tell us. But uh, before we jump into things, a big shout out to our sponsor, Lead 411. If you're looking for strong intent data and you want a cool Google Chrome plugin and you want to be notified on job changes and things like that, by all means, check out our friends over at Lead 411. Without further ado, I know Scott's already teed up for the first question. Sam, I'm not even going to let you say hello. Scott, what's the first question? Because I know it's good. Yeah. The first question that I have for Sam, to be honest with you, is all about some of our friends at Outreach. And I want to know who's more annoying, Brian Gerard, Scott Barker, or Max Altshuler? Which one of them drives you the most nuts? Well, I can tell you one guy who beats all three. Okay. He's got blue hair, and he uses every possible excuse to put his face on everything on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I can tell you who it is, because <laughs> I don't want to offend them, but there is one guy. There is one guy. Oh, that's cool. We, uh, th those are some uh, good friends of ours. And uh, Brian Gerard actually used to work for me a long time ago, like 10 years I ago. I don't know if you, if you knew that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brain Chart's awesome. Tell everybody what your role is over at Outreach and, and what you do and what you're working on. So I've done, I mean, I've kind of like batted the cycle, at least in the sales development org over at Outreach. I like to tell people I was like the Forrest Gump of Outreach. I was an SDR for a while, SDR manager for a while. I managed SDR managers for a while. And then at this point, I'm still on the SDR management team. I spend quite a bit of my time just consulting, doing workshops with other companies. And so I've kind of gotten a pretty broad uh, exposure, at least in the sales development org over at, over at Outreach. How big is the, is the SDR team that you're running and in charge of right now? So Outreach's SDR team is like it's over 50 or 60 at this point. So good-sized team. And all of those are rolling up to you? You have 50 or 60 people that roll up to you? No, not rolling up to me. So like my role at this point, I do a lot more consulting and I do a lot more workshops. My role has become more public facing just because of uh, kind of how my, I guess you could say personal brand has evolved on LinkedIn. So is it, um, is it, fair, like is it fair to say you're doing like evangelist type yeah. work kind of? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm doing, I'm filling in a lot of things, but I'd say, yeah, that's a big part of what I'm doing. And, um, and yeah, I would say a lot of time doing workshops, a lot of evangelism type things, kind of wearing a lot of hats, I guess. I think, I think we need to go to Manny and tell him you need to be the chief evangelist officer, right? So we're going <laughs> to make you the other CEO. So uh, Manny, if you're listening, you know, promote Sam. Um, <laughs> So just out of curiosity, like what prompted that, right? Like you're, you know, we talked to a lot of people at different size companies, right? You've been in outreach a very long time. Um, you've certainly earned the right to have that type of a role and certainly you're well-respected. What was hard about maybe giving up the day-to-day? -day? Like how did, or was it like, oh, I'm ready. Like no big deal. Oh, that, um, well, what kind of day-to-day -day are you talking about? Day-to-day -day is an SDR? Yeah, or just the or, or managing the SDR org at, at such a, at a more direct level than maybe yeah. workshops and you know, sort of getting into that, 
legitimately an executive role where you're you're trying to help maneuver this massive cruise ship, right? Um, and make sure everybody's still having a good time and not getting any getting sick. Yeah, that's a good question. It's actually for me, it's been kind of interesting. Is like in my career progression, um, when I was moving from SDR to SDR manager, I actually didn't really want to make the transition at that, that point. Like at that point in my SDR career, is like I had a whole bunch of meetings set up for January. It's like I knew I was going to do well. I was going to make more money as an SDR than I would as a manager that next month. And so like I actually like was didn't quite want to make the transition at that point. So um, and then as when I was a manager and it's like, okay, like there's this new reality where um, like I'm getting a lot of attention on LinkedIn. Like I can all of a sudden be a thousand places at once and it makes more sense for me to allocate a little bit more time there. Just like from what the company needs, it's like, no, but like the day to day is really important. Like that's where a lot of my content comes from. I don't want to leave this. Um, and so interestingly, like as I've moved through, like I haven't quite wanted to take that next step, but then once I have, it's been like, okay, like, all of a sudden I can, when I go to manager, it's like I have 10 times the wins to be excited about. You have, um, when you do more evangelism, all of a sudden the same thing that I'm doing can influence a thousand people at once. And so it's easy to like get really excited about what you have going on at the current time. And there's, but yeah, I've been pretty happy with kind of every stage has been cool in its own way. Can you, can you dig in a little bit more to the um, got to take a step back to take a step up, um, you know, kind of, kind of thing. I mean, you mentioned that you're like, Oh my God, I don't want to move into this new role because I've got this huge pipeline. I'm going to close all these deals. I'm going to make more money than I ever have. And I think so many people who go through, you know, individual contributor to leadership and different leadership roles experience that I certainly have at least five or six times what, how did you kind of bite the bullet and be like, I have to do this regardless of if I make less money, you know, in the near term, it's going to pay off in the long term. How, what was your thought process there? Yeah, for me, it's all about where I can make the biggest impact in the long term. And um, I talk, talk about taking a step back to take a step up is before I was an SDR, when I was in college, I started a startup with my buddy. Now, like, to be totally honest, like, it did not become the billion-dollar startup that we expected. Like, Is this, totally is this Emberall you're talking about? Yes, you, you've heard of Emberall. I'm assumed from my LinkedIn profile. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I was yeah, going to ask so, you yeah. What? I was going to ask you about it and get into it, yeah. Actually, you know, I've never really talked about Emberall. That would actually be kind of a fun thing to talk we're about. Going, but, we're, going, we're going there. Okay, cool. So, Emberall, it's like... It was like a really mission-driven company. It was like um, the whole strategy was to capture people's life stories on video in the most efficient way possible, and we'd save it for their posterity. And we were like totally drinking the Kool-Aid of like, hey, let's make something that is really impactful for the world and the money will come. And it turned out that it was a lot harder to monetize than we expected, right? And so... Um, Anyway, we can go deeper into Embraer later, but on the subject of taking a step back to take a step forward, is it was like when I was doing Embraer, I mean, I really hadn't been in the workforce for that long, but I was pretty used to calling my own shots. And I never had to do something that I didn't believe that I shouldn't do or that I thought was stupid. And me and my co-founder, like we have a good enough relationship where it's like if he suggests something stupid, I would say, 
no, we're not going to do that because I don't think it's a good idea. And then we'd argue it out and then whoever wins the argument, we kind of roll with it. And so anyway, Embrol ended up not working out. And um, I realized, hey, like if I want to ever start a company again, like clearly besides co actual like raw coding, developing opportunities where there's previously nothing, there's nothing better than that. Like that's what I want to do. And then I heard about outreach and I was like, this is a match made in heaven. Like I can learn like how to generate opportunities through cold outbound at a company who like literally helps. It's like a tool for that position. I'm like, this is like so meta for what I want to do for what's going to help me have an impact long-term. And it was like match made in heaven. So um, transitioned over to outreach and did one thing about taking a step back of going from like calling my own shots, being CEO, that wasn't a successful company. I was calling my own shots. Going into being SDR was a very, the way that you like oh, sure, deal yeah. with conflicts, the way that you tell people that you disagree with them is very different. Like yeah. that was a very rude awakening. Did it, take, did it take you a while to kind of understand the politics of it all, if you will, or like how to temper your voice? Yeah. And I will say, I would say outreach is pretty, I don't, I wouldn't just call outreach a political organization. But relative to where I was coming from, where you have absolutely no filter and that's the only way you're going to survive, it was very different. And I think if I hadn't gone into sales, I think I would have gotten fired a few times. Like I, like I got used to it. Like if I wasn't in sales and was doing really, really well, like, dude, I don't know. I think like when I was first starting out, I was not so good at like uh, corporate social graces. So how, so, so give that advice. Like, you know, you now have the, the wisdom of experience, right? Um, yeah. You, you're, you're trying to mentor or support a, a, you know, the new SDR or the new SDR class. And it's like, hey, if you've never worked for a company, here are some things you should know, right? What, what would be some of that advice about navigating your career, understanding how it works? It'll, and you guys are, I mean, you're a big company, but, you know, you're not Hewlett Packard, right? Like you're not Apple, right? It's not like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I know. I think that happens in next year, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We double that every year. Um, so, what advice would you give to, to people starting their career to learn how to navigate those things? Yeah, well, it's actually like pretty. It's pretty polar opposite of kind of what my attitude was coming in. And when I was coming in, it's like, no, dude, like you just say what you think really loudly and like people will argue their way to the right solution and that's not necessarily the right way to do it. The approach I eventually took was I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do exactly what my manager says, whether I agree or disagree, I'm just going to do it exactly. And then we'll see how it goes. And then we can adjust later. Like once I have some experience, but I just went all in even with things I didn't agree with. And it turned out over time that like, some of the things that I believe strongly were true. And then most of the things that I believe strongly were not, right? Um, but you really, like, especially when you're doing something brand new, you have to put your ego aside and just, like, learn from people who have more experience than you. Even if they're perfect and even if you think you have better ideas, it's really good to just, like, jump in and learn. Like, your ideas will still be there and you'll be able to validate them later. But... Um, but yeah, that's my philosophy right now. When you're going to do something new, just like 
learn as much as you can, try things out, even if you don't necessarily totally agree with them and get a firsthand understanding of why you do or do not believe that particular it, thing. It's interesting because the way you describe that, you know, particularly as someone coming in, you know, into a new role, I know we're talking about SDRs, but it's the same in any company. It sounds very familiar to when you start your own company, right? You come in, you have these grandiose ideas. You're going to take the, you know, you're going to, you're going to take the bull by the horns and then, wah, 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 you know, it sort of comes in and, and clearly it's a little bit of a pattern for you is that you're very passionate about what you believe in and what you care about. And you've had to sort of learn some of that through life. What, what sort of hit you in the face when you had your own company? Like what, what was, what were some of the things you were like, Oh, that is not what I expected. Was it raising money? Was it, just selling in general to get people, you know, to go beyond, well, that's really cool, Sam, but no, I'm not going to pay for it. Um, what were those things of, what was the reality that set in? Yeah. The one reality that was really important for me to understand was that like, uh, like intentions in good intentions are not enough to make a difference. Right. This, the company we started was very mission based. It was like, hey, if we capture this one old person's story on video before they pass on, and we say that for generations, it's like this huge valuable thing. Like how much would you pay for that for the last person you knew who died if you could have like this whole history of how they thought about these certain things and, and bring them to life in that way, it's so valuable. And we thought the money part would take care of itself. Um, but that's not the case. Like if you really don't have a distribution strategy, it really clips your wings having some way to get that in, out in front of a huge audience of people, finding a way to make that financially sustainable can increase the impact that you have by orders of magnitude. So what, <clears throat> what did you do? What was, what was the mistake? You know, you said you've, you've got to have like a, for lack of a better term, like a go-to-market monetization strategy. What was the mistake that you, that you didn't have? I mean, what, what were you, what were you spending your time on if it, if it wasn't that? And I'm asking this question for the benefit of any early stage founders and entrepreneurs out there, you know, so hopefully they don't uh, make the same mistake and they can, they can learn from, from this. Yeah, I would say, I think it's important to do things that you really believe in, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't solve, someone's going to eventually ask the question, um, what is the financial return on investment if you're selling to businesses? Like for us, I mean, I sold, we're like, okay, we have this idea. It's a really valuable thing. How are we going to make money? We ended up in like these kind of weird industries, like assisted living communities and like funeral insurance and like all these areas with old people. And I'm pretty sure that I sold this to pretty much every assisted living community in Utah because I could sell on emotion because I really believed it. I was like, dude, this costs you, I mean, it was like half their marketing budget, but it was like, yeah, but like relative to the benefit that it gives to the people that you serve, like it's, it's massively valuable. And so I could get people to buy it, but eventually people are like, yeah, but where is this return on investment? And so making sure that like you have that financial ROI is really important for it to be sustainable because I can sell it, but someone's eventually going to ask the question. It's going to peter out no matter how good you are at sales, if it's not providing a good financial so, ROI. I mean, you did this for two and a half years. This was not like, Hey, let me go try a startup out of my dorm room and, you know, give it a shot for six months. Like you, you really went after it. Um, yeah. 
was it a financial thing? Like what were some of the other things, you know, and I, by the way, I love that line that, you know, passion is not enough, right. Um, to make a difference. Um, what were some of those other things that sort of finally made you guys wind it down? Uh, well, I was, I mean, I was, I was probably irresponsibly persistent in this idea. Uh, what really pulled the plug out was my technical co-founder was eventually like, I mean, we're both like, had incomes below the poverty level and living in our parents' basements with a kid. And my co-founder is eventually like, okay, dude, I've been like, and Google of course is recruiting him. Like the guy I was working with is a genius and Google had been recruiting him for a long time. And eventually he's like, dude, I got, I can't, I can't just keep doing this. And so he took the job with Google. And at that point I was like, you know what? I think this is a good time to call it quits. And, um, and yeah, I'm going to go and, and develop my skills and, and cold out about and understand how you can develop uh, kind of a financial financially sustainable way of doing things if I ever want to do something mission-based again. And, and yeah, my co-founder went to Google. He now actually is at Y Combinator. He's over the startup school. Have you guys heard of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have, I have a cousin who went through it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's, I, I think he's over that program now. Oh, cool. And, uh, but yeah, really bright guy really good friend and but yeah just the business model didn't make sense i'm, I'm really i'm really making you wallow in this because we've never i don't think we've ever asked anybody so you know you like, i actually like talking about it no one ever asked me about it so so you, you have a business for two and a half years you certainly have some paying customers i don't know if it was a recurring revenue model or something like that what's that conversation like to call your customer and say we're winding down or did you just shut the doors and not return emails like you know uh, we, we transitioned it to someone else. You did? Okay. Yeah. So they, they dealt with those, but I mean, yeah, a lot, in a lot of cases, the churn took care of itself as far as, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, it, the thing is, is actually, I shouldn't say too many bad things about it it's because it still is like a great thing and it's, it's still going, but it's just not, did not end the way that I hoped. We had very high hopes. Yeah. But you also did it. You created something. Like you've yeah. got a story to tell, right? And like, these are the interesting questions that you no, know, we always sort of say, tell us about your failures, but we never really dig in, right? Yeah. Um, so, so what, what inspires you? Cause I, and I know outreach is this way too, that there is this, not just work-life balance that permeates from, from your organization, but like, you know, you better care about something. It's almost like if you don't care about, if you don't have a passion about something outside of work, you need to find one. That's yeah. my impression on the outside looking in. So you can correct me. Um, what's that like? How do, how do you balance supporting people's outside passions with a high growth company, right? Um, or is it just so innate and ingrained in you guys that, I don't know, we just do it, Richard. Like nobody complains. Yeah. Well, a big part of it, certainly for me, is that the, I kind of what I really want to make of my own life and what's really important to me really ties pretty closely into how I'm developing outreach. Like my hobby, if I had a hobby would be to learn how to, you know, do something like I had done before with Emberall. And I really saw like the way I would develop as an SDR and outreach is like developing skills, like the most important entrepreneurial skills that you can develop, right? Building something out of nothing or creating some opportunity out of nothing. And so for me, a lot of it is a lot of what I'm doing and how I'm developing is what I would be doing on my own time. 
And one part of it is for kind of balance, make, getting that balance and helping others find that balance. One side of it is helping SDRs understand how valuable what they're developing is to whatever they want to do in their life. And as is a sales development rep, if it applies to pretty much anything. So give an understanding that is a, is yeah, a really important part of satisfaction. Yeah. Go ahead, coach people on that a little bit. Like, what does that mean? I, I get it, but I'm just sort of wondering if there's like, oh, there's one or two people I know that I've done this with and, and here's how I taught them or here's what they've shown or, or taught me or here's what I've learned. Yeah, well, the, the best place to start when I'm talking through this with an SDR is where do they want to go? Like, what do you want to do long term? And if they don't know, which a lot of them don't, um, we just, I have them think about it. Like uh, the more things that you can be looking forward to, the more things you can stack on top of each other that motivate you, the happier you're going to be. And so I really encourage people to think long-term about what they want. And no matter what it is, it's pretty easy to tie in what you learn in sales development to that. And I mean, we've had at, at outreach, we've had SDRs go into everything from AE, I mean, AE kind of compensates. So that's what a lot of people go there, but they've been phenomenal at marketing. They've been phenomenal in operations, even in IT, even in customer success and consulting and enablement. And so um, those skills that they develop and actually a lot of it's just like the straight up grit that they get from it and ability to learn new things just makes them really successful in all these other roles. Are those skills the same today as they were in 2016 when you started as an SDR or have they evolved a little bit? And the skills that you develop? I'd say that rather the skills required to be successful as an SDR and work your way up as you're talking about some other people have done. Yeah. I would say on a really fundamental level, yeah, they are. Because sales development, at least if you're in like a super fast growing company, where it's growing unnaturally fast. Let's be real, like a lot of VC companies are growing unnaturally fast and there's gonna be a lot of fires in that situation. You really are learning how to adapt quickly and get good at getting good at new things. Like fundamentally, the people that do really well are people that obviously work hard, but are also really good at getting good at new things, really good at adapting quickly. And if you can get good at that, you can get good at anything, especially in tech. That's a huge part of the job no matter where you are. And so I think in that way, it has stayed the same. Like certain yeah. things about the environment or the tools will all change, but fundamentally, I think that's the most important thing. Well, how, how has it evolved then? I, I was having this conversation just yesterday and people were asking, you know, how has the SDR role evolved? Where will it evolve? And it's gotta be different, not just in terms of the tools available to you. It's gotta be a little bit different now than it was four years ago, no? Yeah. I think that SDRs are going to be more and more levered going forward. You see that's been happening with tools like outreach. Like an SDR can do what would have taken two SDRs, you know, a few years ago, right? And so one individual SDR is going to be able to do more and more. You've seen that trend happening and I do not expect that to slow down. So the cool things about that is, are that an individual SDR is going to be able to make a bigger impact. The scary thing about that that people need to think about and managers need to think about is you can, you have the power to be very good at scale. You also have the power to be really bad at scale. Yeah. 
And so you need to be, yeah, you need to be conscious of that. <laughs> that's one thing that I think is going Talk about, that's a great one. I have two questions for you, but I want to dig in that first, which is what does really bad at scale mean, right? Unless it's the, hey, turn outreach into your, you know, drip campaign. Yeah, well, I think one thing that I see that is a quiet killer of SDR teams, because I've gone, I've gone to see a lot of different SDR teams. That's one cool thing about my current role is I've gotten to see a lot of organizations. And one thing that is pretty consistent is that um, SDRs don't necessarily have a good intuition for how to prioritize where they spend their time. Like, for example, outreach can get you moving really powerfully in the right direction. Like you can but it can also get you moving really powerfully in the wrong direction. Like if someone starts their first day and they drop a, they drop a hundred people that call themselves sales directors in sequence, they're going to waste 80% of their time over the next month because sales directors are not actually managers um, when they would have no intuition for that. And so uh, prioritization is a big way that manifests itself from what I've seen. I want to, completely change the subjects on you and personal brand, right? So a lot of people know you, right? Aside from quality content, obviously the blue hair, right? That's part of it. When did, when did you start to recognize that this brand thing matters? Cause I feel like I've known of you for, I mean, I feel like I've known of you longer than you've actually been at outreach. Um, but have you been, have you been on his have you been on his show yet, Richard? No, he's never asked. It's yeah, me either. <laughs> the invitation lost in the mail. <laughs> hey, that hey, that's a I have that's I will make we will make that happen at some point. We'll make that happen. Oh, that was the nicest brush off I've ever gotten. He even smiled when he said it. <laughs> no, the thing is, the thing is, like my show is usually just like a monologue, and now we're like doing partner things, and I don't always totally make the decision of who our partner is. Don't but, worry. About it. We we just like we just like busting chops. But talk about branding because it's important, right? And particularly, you know, you know, Scott and I've been doing it for I guess about two years. And I feel like you've been doing it forever. And now everybody's trying to do it, which they should. Like, I think it's important. But when yeah. did you realize it that like, oh, this, this could help? Um, well, I think it's just like the same thing. Like you eventually realize. So how I got started out was I would wrote, I wrote LinkedIn articles of things that I had super, super specialized knowledge about. Right. Like I knew how outreach used outreach. And we used outreach to do really well. Like we became very, very successful through Pure Cold Outbound, which was, it was a pretty cool story. And a lot of the things that made us successful were things that are pretty easy for other people to replicate as long as they had outreach. They weren't all necessarily specific to being in sales. And so I wrote an article about it and it got super popular, <laughs> like super popular. I still get like, um, and I, it's, it's stayed that popular. And I just realized, hey, like, I can just multiply my efforts and that's a really big deal. Like, I can have the impact that I would have, like, sitting down with one person for a half hour, like, times a thousand without much extra time. And so I just realized how it was do you, How do you then manage all of the messages that come your way? This is something that we, I think many of us who have, you know, sizable followings just, like, 
pull our hair out about all day long because there's no easy way. LinkedIn doesn't make it easy. If, if people come at us over email, things get lost there. What, what tips do you have, you know, for, for other people out there whose followings have grown to some sizable and yet very almost unmanageable, uh, you know, capacity and, and, and just to stay connected with people and not, you know, ghost people or brush them off. Right. Yeah, I would, I would can say very confidently that I am not the right person to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer. And that's it's hard, man. Right? It's, it's hard. It's so hard, isn't it? And yeah, what you say about LinkedIn all, to be honest with you. If, he's, if, he's, if he can't answer the question, he does not have a hard time doing that, in my opinion. <laughs> well, it's like, um, I don't think, I mean... LinkedIn's messaging service is not built for scale. You guys know that. It's really not. And like, not that I want to like talk crap about LinkedIn. I don't think they realize like how important that this would be for a certain segment of their users or they would have invested more in it. But yeah, it's very hard to keep on top of things in LinkedIn. And I, it's think, just, I think they do that by design because it creates more time on site. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe, maybe it's so it. shitty. But, it's so, but the data is so powerful, right, that it's, it's, for lack of a better phrase, it's kind of like the perfect amount of friction. It really annoys you, but not enough to make you quit because you yeah. can't, right? Um, because but here's know. the thing about LinkedIn is like things fall through the cracks and it is not, they're not necessarily the things that I want to fall through the cracks. It's totally random. I would agree. There are a you. lot of really awesome opportunities. I'll see someone saying from a big company saying, hey, I really want to get a demo of outreach. And it's not because I blew them off. It was just because there were 50 above it. And I had other priorities a few days before. And then after a few days, it's hopeless. And so, um, yeah, it's hard to, to really prioritize. And then it's hard to not feel like to make, people feel like you're big leaguing them and it's really, it's just like a technical problem. How do, you, how do you figure out how to prioritize your time now? Because with what you're doing now, whether it's branding stuff or the, or the show or these presentations that you're, you're doing, like how are, is it all about which one leads me to the quickest path to ROI and revenue generation, revenue generation? Or is there other factors going into it? It's because I think a lot of people, myself included, sometimes think about the evangelist type role as fairly nebulous. Like, well, I don't, I don't exactly know what somebody would do certain points of each day. How do, how do you prioritize? Yeah, I mean, well, I block it in. If I have, if A's need me to do workshops, whether if it's for a compete situation or... Um, to close a deal or for C price or something like that. I just like block those into my calendar. And then I've got, I say, Hey, I'm going to do my weekly webinar every single week. And whatever time I have left is what I put into that. And my webinars have taken me anywhere from one hour to make to 24 hours to make, right? It depends on how much extra time I have. And so I just like, I'll do the workshops to, um, for whatever I'm demanded for. I'll do a post. I try to do a post every day, but I can't do that. And then the rest of the time I just put into my show because my show, like if I have extra time, it's kind of weird because it's like I do that show. If I can get twice as many people show up to that show, all of a sudden it's like, it's like me being, like I said, it's like being in a thousand places at once. And so I just put all my extra time there. 
Do you edit your own stuff or, or does outreach support you there? I do, dude, I do everything. <laughs> I just figured it all out. So I do like the, I do like the slides. Of course you can tell cause the slides are awful. And then I figured out how to use the software and like one in eight times it totally crashes just because I don't, I do my own technical support too. And I don't always know what the problem is. And LinkedIn Live is in beta. And so I don't know if it's LinkedIn Live or this crazy software or what. But I do, I do the, the promotion, the recording, the slides, and the editing. And I'm doing the editing live most uh, every time. So what, what, what were you, were you, uh, were you the, the kid who always, you know, had a side gig? Were you a sports kid? Were you all those things? Like, you know, did you, did you know you were going to be in sales when most of us don't, but what were you like growing up? Uh, what was I like growing up? Wow. Um, yeah, I don't talk about this a lot. Let's see. Growing up, I was like, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an inventor. I think I'd never, um, and then in high school, in high school, I was trying to start random businesses with my buddies. And we always ran in the same wall, which is we had to be 18 to sign legal contracts. And we would like do everything we could to get around that. But at the end of the day, that always really. What, um, what, were, what were one or two of your ideas? We just interviewed my son who's 12 for starting his business. We interviewed him on the podcast. So um, yeah. what were some of your business ideas? Unless you're keeping them in case you're going to do them again. No, they weren't like so much like fantastic ideas as it was like buying things on Alibaba from China and trying to sell them in the U.S. So it was like, dude, I can get belly button rings for five cents and I could sell and they're worth a lot more. But then like I ran up against this wall of like how many people really needed belly button rings for 20 bucks. Plus my girlfriend thought I was such a weirdo. And um, what else? There were like fake Burberry bikinis too that my friend got and I was selling those at a student store and my girlfriend did not like it. And it's just like, anyway. I that's, probably shouldn't have said that, but yeah, that's, that's how I got my start. <laughs> no, it's perfect that you did. Cause guess what? We, we all did stupid shit at that age. <laughs> you know, the, you know, for, fortunately, at least for, at least, at least you were making, at least you would make, you were making money off the stupid shit you did. Right. Right. <laughs> That's funny. What would, what would your parents have, what were they wanting you to grow up and be? What do you think they would say? I think they were pretty supportive of everything, but in my family, pretty much everyone went into dentistry. So my father's an orthodontist and all of, I have an uncle who's an orthodontist and a couple who are dentists. And then my grandfather, same thing. So it's like dentistry has been kind of what my family did. And I was going to do that in college for a while. I like, I took the intense science classes, I worked really hard, did well in those. And then at the end of the day, it was just like, uh, it's too predictable. Like I want to do something that's more exciting. I know how this story ends. I want to have a little bit more adventure in my, in my career. And so. Was that, was that a hard sell to your parents or were they like, no, we support you, Sam. They supported, they supported me. They weren't, I mean, they support whatever I did, but I mean, they we're happy to remind me that it is like dentistry is a great lifestyle. Like they make a ton of money right? Work three days a week. It's right. a great family life. Right. And so, and like, I mean, my family really knows the ropes, but, um, but yeah, they're pretty, they're supportive. Are they, are they, you know, Sam, if, you know, if this outreach thing doesn't work out, you can still come back to the family business. Are they, are they busting <laughs> you up on that? 
It is too late, man. Because he had, I mean, dentist, the other thing about it, if you want to be a dentist, like you've got to finish undergrad then you've got to take four years of dental school and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars and then go into ortho school for three more years and then be in a million dollars of debt. So it's a long road. So I'm, I, that bridge is burned. Instead, what you could do is you could take your entrepreneurial experience and your experience at out, outreach and maybe you'll build some new platform for the dentist industry and you can marry your two worlds together. Right? Who knows? That'll, that'll be your next uh, startup that you try. <laughs> what um, what are the what are the what are the I've been trying to ask this in a delicate way, so it may not come out delicate. As you guys look forward with COVID, right, um, and the growth of outreach, what are some of the scale issues you guys are are solving? internally um around you know the work from home world right so many times people have thought that sdrs need to you know they got to be in the office you got to be around everybody and you got to sort of be in the bullpen and that's changing right i'm curious you know how do you got have you guys looked at that or have you always been a hey if you want to work from home so many days a week you can we've always we've always been in the office and i really like the office environment in a huge reason, just like for morale, like being around the same people that are doing the same thing along with you. And if you have a question, you can have a friend show you really quickly. It's a pretty, I think it's a pretty ideal role to be done together, even though technically like the sum of its parts can be done alone. I really think being together is ideal. And so that's unfortunate. Obviously like Outreach is great because outreach makes it easier to do it from home. Obviously, like all field salespeople are now inside salespeople. And so like the platform helps them and AEs that need to prospect now finally have like a platform that makes it really efficient for AEs to prospect. And so it's filled a lot of gaps in the work from home situation as a product, but all things equal. I really do think that being together in the office is ideal. It's funny, and we're gonna we might have to have you back because I literally like twenty minutes before you got on, I started talking to Ralph Barcy. You don't know, I mean, you know who Ralph is, but um, you know he's he's an, you know equally knowledgeable about SDRs and sales, and he was just telling me like I don't know if I'm ever gonna have my SDRs come back to the office. Like I like I he's like he can recruit better, he can find them in different places. We were just talking about it, so it'll be it's gonna be an interesting debate over over the next year or so about people going back to the office in some of these roles. Yeah. And I, and I understand those arguments and it does make a lot of sense. It's yeah. just, Oh, do even just like from the morale standpoint, just being together in the same room, going through all that together, celebrating it is. I totally just, agree. Like that's what we were talking about was, well, how do you do that? Right. How do you keep that stuff there? And particularly cause the knowledge base, like if you're following what is the traditional, you know, early person in their career SDR who don't have a lot of the sales skills, how do we do that, right? How do we make sure they get it and, and learn that sort of institutional knowledge of, you know, your platform or how to do things or what's our process and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, well, this is you know, this part where we sort of turn it around on you and, and we sort of say, you know, Sam, what can we do for you? Like, how can we be of support to you? Anything you're supporting, your causes, your, ideas if you got a question about how to do something ask us we're happy to support you yeah well i mean the biggest thing is 
the promoting outreach, spreading the good word about outreach. Um, I have a weekly show that you can find on my LinkedIn profile that I do every week, primarily about SDR management, but I cover other topics. What day and time is that? Yeah. Or is it, or do you keep it, make, keep people guessing? Wait, what, what, what was that? What day and time do you do your show? I do it Thursday at 11. Okay. So live Thursday at 11. Got it. And, um, and yeah, I put a lot, I put a lot into that. And yeah, that's promoting outreach and doing my show. It's a big part of my life right now. Got it. Will do. Well, we're fans of outreach and have good relationships with a lot of people over there. So we'll, uh, we'll keep spreading the, the good word, Sam. Right on. Thanks, Sam. We appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Yes. Great to talk to you guys. You too.